Well, good morning, everyone. It's a, a joy to be with you. Uh, no, I am not going to be singing this sermon um, to uh, the disappointment of many of you, I suspect. Um, before I begin, I, I would be remiss if I don't, if I don't thank uh, the pastors, pastoral team here and the elders of, of Lakeview for the love, the encouragement, the sustenance they've given me and my family, uh, the patience. They have been kind to us. They have pursued us. Um, they have blessed us. They have equipped us, encouraged us. So many things they have poured into our lives. And uh, so men, elders of this church, pastors, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your generosity towards me and my family. Uh, I am forever in your debt. Um, I hope, as Pastor Keith said, that uh, this year-long commitment is more than a year long. Uh, but uh, listen, my, 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 I am indebted to you forever. And uh, perhaps in eternity, when we feast around the marriage supper of the Lamb, I have opportunities again and again and again to rejoice with you for what you've done uh, for my life. And to many of you as well, church members, who have been kind enough to me and allowed me to wave a stick in front of you and uh, have sung uh, under my uh, leadership. I'm grateful. I have nothing but gratitude and, and appreciation for how you have loved me. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. Charles Spurgeon once commented on what it's like for a, a preacher to select a passage of Scripture to preach. And he said, it's like going out into a field and witnessing hundreds of beautiful flowers and then being expected to just pick one and gaze upon it. It's, a, it's an impossible task. And um, I... I Brothers and sisters, I want to share with you that which is of utmost importance. I want to share with you today what has transformed my lives and maybe many of the lives of, of you who are here. If I can leave here, if this is the last sermon I ever preach, and maybe after preaching it, it, as a matter of fact, becomes the last sermon I ever preach because of the sermon I preached, you at least hear one thing. You hear the focus of Scripture. You hear the point of why God has revealed Himself through this Word. And that is the statement that we find in this chapter where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. There is no more complete topic. There is no more profound truth. There is nothing else of worth that I could give to you but Christ, His message and His gospel so we will read a, a pretty good bit of Scripture. You're going to want to keep your Bible open. You'll notice uh, there's uh, an insert with notes on there to take. Um, I want your eyes feasting on the Word of God. I'll read this for you. This is John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread 
so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down above 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's skip down to verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea... They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Join me as we pray. Father, would you feed us this morning? Would you remind those of us who profess Christ as our Savior that you are our sustenance and our provision? Would you remind us, Father, that apart from you, We have no life. Feed us, O Lord. Speak to us through your word. Provide, nourish, encourage, embolden. O God, give us life, we pray. 
In Christ's name, amen. What I'd like to do is take this passage, make a couple of comments, extract a couple of ideas I get, and then throw in a little bit of my life story to fulfill the requirement. But I want you to notice what Jesus does here. And this discourse that continues all the way to verse 72, it's a long passage of scripture. Jesus points out certain insights about the human heart. Jesus reveals certain hidden dimensions about the human heart. You might find yourself profiled in these dimensions, and I hope that that is the case. The first thing I see here in this text is that the human heart is confused in what it values and in what it needs. Look back at verse 22 with me. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went into Capernaum seeking Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Notice the question. Notice what they're asking him and what they're not asking him. Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. It's fascinating, the insight of Jesus into the heart of man. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you come here? When did you come here, Rabbi? They didn't say, how did you get here? They said, when did you come here? And he responds by telling them, listen, you're not interested in how I got here. You're interested in what you got the day before. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's telling them you're confused. He's telling them you want the wrong things. Your longings, your cravings, your appetite, the yearnings of your heart are confused. You're craving the wrong things. These people witnessed something gloriously supernatural. Put yourself in their shoes. They witnessed the unparalleled power of Christ at full display. And what do they want? They want bread. Let me ask you a simple question. What's the purpose of a sign? What does a sign do? When you walk by a sign, what do you do? When you walked by signs to come into this building, what is their purpose? Signs point to something, right? Signs lead to something. The purpose of a sign is fulfilled not when it keeps your attention but when it redirects it somewhere else. 
Listen to Pastor John Piper comment on this passage. He says, when Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and a few fish, it was a sign. That is, it was like a beam of glory streaming out from the person of Jesus Christ. It was like a ray of light coming out from Jesus. But what they didn't do, they said, when did you get here? What they didn't do when they looked at the sign was to let their eyes run up the beam of glory from the pleasure in their belly to the treasure of Christ. They didn't follow the ray of light back up to the beauty of the sun. What they did was fixate on the product of the miracle, not on the person of the miracle. And so the sign ceased to be a sign for them. And do, do you notice the irony of this? Do you notice the irony? They're concerned about their sustenance. They're concerned about their physical sustenance in the presence of the one who sustains all creation. They want bread. What they should have been looking for all along is standing right there in front of them. And he's been standing there the entire time. But they don't see it. They don't see him. And not only do they not see him, but they don't seem to want him either. They want bread. They've become fixated on the product of the miracle instead of the person. That's that's a confused heart. That's a confused heart that lacks the ability to appreciate the things that actually matter. Is there not a lesson here for us? How many of us live our lives seeking the bread this life provides? Things like money, things like education, things like success. All of those things provide Some sort of sustenance. All the while, the one who offers enduring sustenance, permanent sustenance, life goes unnoticed. Friends, how many of us delight in spiritual blessings? How many of us delight in in fellowship, in in the teaching of the Word of God, in, in, in in the communion of the believers? How many of us delight in the provision while we forget the provider? And that's confused. It's the sign of a confused heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. Jesus tells them, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then... They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The second portrait 
of the human heart that I see here is this idea that our hearts are blinded by ingratitude. Our hearts are blinded by ingratitude. Earlier he points to their confusion. Verse 27, he tells them they're working, they're looking, they're searching for the wrong thing. But look again at verse 29. And notice what happens. Jesus tells them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? What sign do you do? One would think that miraculously providing food for 5,000 people, which by the way, if you, the text says men, probably at least twice as many people there. You read commentaries on this passage, people will note that there's maybe even up to 20,000 people there. There's a lot of people there. And what does Jesus have to feed people? Five barley loaves and two fish. So he has a handful of po'boys, basically. So can you imagine going down, it's Mardi Gras season, there's a bunch of people going down to an endymion parade or whatever, and offering thousands of people sustenance with five loaves of bread and with five po'boys, and actually being successful in that miracle? You would think that'd be sign enough. You would think that at least Jesus has established credibility. Okay. I'm going I'm to listen to this guy. He's done something eh, slightly out of the ordinary. You'd think that'd be sign enough, but it's worse. Not only do they question his ability to provide. Well, what sign can you do? But they questioned the value of the provision itself. Look back at verse 30. What sign do you do that we may believe? What work do you do? Our fathers. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. When I started attending Lakeview um, back in May or so, Pastor Keith um, was taking us or Are you still taking us through Exodus? Are we done with Exodus? Okay. We've been in Exodus. We're still in exile. I don't know how long it'll be, but it's, it's, it's been great. But, um, you see what I meant about the last possibility of this being the last sermon? But you'll recall what there, you probably have make notice to the reference here. You probably see what is being pointed out here. Back in Exodus 16, we have this, this, <laughs> we have this story about the true heart of the people of Israel. Exodus 14, we, we get this incredible miracle of God leading the people of Israel through the Red Sea. You, you might recall, the Israelites had been under the oppression of the Egyptians for 400 years. God delivers them miraculously and then to the cream of the crop of the miracles, he takes them on the banks of the Jordan River and and, and the the Red Sea and then it splits in half. And the people of God walk through to the other side and then then the the, the, the Red Sea comes in and destroys the Egyptian army. And Exodus 15, what do the people of God do? They sing this song and, and they worship God and all is awesome and fun and happy, right? No. Exodus 16, what do the people of Israel start doing? 
grumbling. Oh God, you should have left us over there. You should have left us in Egypt. How does God respond to them? He sends them manna, the manna from heaven. It starts to rain bread. And every day for 40 years, Exodus 15.35 says, the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. For 40 years, the people of God woke up and as a result of the dew of the morning on the ground, there was manna. God provided for them for 40 years. So do you see why they're bringing this up? Do you see what they're trying to do? They're grumbling. The meal Jesus miraculously provided for them the day before is now gone. So they're hungry again. So as a result, they're questioning the value of the provision itself. You'll notice the text nowhere says they gave thanks to God. Nowhere in this passage do they show the slightest appreciation for what Jesus has done to them. As a matter of fact, if you read verses 14 and 15, it says, Perceiving then that they were, um, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Now that sounds flattering, right? Oh, they're going to lift him up? No. They wanted to make him into their political puppet. That's what they wanted to do. Hey, this guy's powerful. He can give us food whenever we want. He's going to work for us. Because that always works so well when we talk to God that way, right? Rather than be satisfied with what they have already received, they want to make the shoddy comparison between how the Israelites in the wilderness were provided for and how they are being provided for. Oh, you know, Jesus, our fathers, God fed them for 40 years. And you can only do it for one. Is that the best you can do, Jesus? They're grumbling. They're grumbling even while he's providing what they presently need. But it's even worse than that. They're grumbling even while he's offering to provide what they need most. Look at verse 27. The food that endures to eternal life. The Son of Man will give to you. 40 years, eternal life, 40 years, eternal life, this is the food that my father will give you, he tells them, and they're grumbling. Friends, can we not relate to that? How many times have we doubted or mistrusted or even spoken ill of God in our hearts. Maybe even with our lips. All the while, he has been in the process. While he is even now in the process of giving us what we most need. Why is it that we are always so much more easily able to think of what we want 
or of what we don't have rather than be thankful for what we do have. What God has already given us. What he has already accomplished for us. Why is that? Blindness. They were blind in their ingratitude. Friends, have you noticed God's gifts to you? Have you noticed how God has provided for you this past year? Maybe even during times of difficult seasons. Maybe during sickness or, or unemployment or, or, or loss. Has God not been in constant care of you? As the new guy on the pastoral staff, it's, it has been my joy to sit with quite a few of you for the vital signs checkup. It has been a joy to hear the testimony of God's provision in your lives. Time and time and time again, some of you have come into my office and shared God's goodness and testified to his care and his provision for your lives. Friend, have you known God's provision? Are you blinded by something that you are incapable of seeing God's provision? There's a lesson here for us. These smaller provisions should lead us somewhere. These smaller provisions that God gives us in our time of need should lead us to the greatest provision, Christ Friends, if Jesus is the bread of life and if God sent this bread to us, then along with him, how will he not graciously give us all things? Can we doubt him in this? Why do we grumble? Lastly, I want to show you the final portrait I see. And it's this. The human heart is longing for something greater. The human heart is longing for something greater. Look at verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Don't misappropriate honor. It was not Moses who did this for you guys. That's ingratitude, ascribing glory to where it doesn't belong. It was not Moses, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you notice what they ask him? They say, sir, give us this bread. Always. Sir, give us this bread. 
always. How long did your last meal fill you? You woke up this morning, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe you had breakfast. It's getting close to lunchtime. Are you hungry yet? How long did that last meal fill you? How long does that new thing in your life satisfy you? What is it about us that causes the satisfactions of this world to be so passing and so fragile? We're longing for something, are we not? We're longing for something greater. Guy you might have heard of, C.S. Lewis, really smart dude, was an agnostic before he came to Christ. And he said this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men and women have sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Give us this bread always. Sir, give us this bread always. The longing of the human heart is self-evident. You know it. You have felt it. You have been pulled into realizing that there is more to this world than this world. These people long for something enduring. They long for something that will satisfy them, not just for that moment, for all moments. Give us this bread always. Don't just feed us and then let us go hungry. Give us this bread always. Satisfy us always. Let this bread give us sustenance always. But what they don't realize is they're still asking the wrong thing. They're asking for the wrong thing. They're asking the wrong question. They are asking for some thing when they should be asking for some one. Jesus responds to them and says, I am the bread of life. We lose the emphasis in the English translation. Ergo eimi, in Greek, I, I indeed, I, I am. Give us this bread, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is telling you that he, I am the one you're looking for. I am what satisfies in this life. I am what brings life. The answer for our lives is what we have been off, has been offered to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. 
The problem they had was they were, they were seeing Jesus only as useful. They saw Jesus as a means to an end. Give us this bread. How many Christians receive Christ this way? How many of us Christians live our lives with Christ as a means to an end? He is the end. He gives us bread, but He is the bread. Jesus is not useful. Jesus is life. Jesus does not offer Himself as useful to our lives Jesus offers himself as life. And I know this. I know this because I have tasted this life. I grew up in, um, from Honduras. And... Um, There was a lot of bread in my house, figuratively speaking and literally speaking. Grew up in a good home, great parents, good education. I might not look it, but I was quite the athlete. (laughs) Don't let this body fool you. I bumped into somebody in the office and he, he had a swimmer tag on his backpack. And, and I, I don't know where you are, brother, but I asked him about swimming. I was a swimmer. Captain of the soccer team in high school. Captain of the basketball team in high school. Captain of the volleyball team in high school. Sports was what I lived for. And I was pretty good at it. I was also pretty popular. I've always been really outgoing. I've always had a way with just... just sparkling conversations with anyone. I got that from my mom. Life was good. My parents were different than all the parents in that they were together. I had a mother and a father in the home who loved me, who provided for me. I was destined for a career in business where there's probably a lot of money going to be made. I had tasted the bread that this life gives. And I thought it was good. Until tragedy struck our home. Betrayal at the age of 15. The person I idolized, the person I wanted to grow up and be like, Did what many of us do. We sinned. He sinned. He broke a sacred covenant in the bonds of marriage. And my dad is here, so I'm trying to be very respectful. I love my dad now. God has done so much to repair, God has given us life. You should see my mom and dad's marriage now. It's incredible what God has done. His grace is just undeserved. But at 15, I'm asking myself questions. God, is this it? 
Is this all there is to life? The people that you most love and trust will turn on you this way? I began to seek. I began to ask questions. It didn't make any sense. And then I heard a young man on his first sermon. His name is Mario. Terrible sermon. Uh, It really was. He was nervous, like I am. And he kept uttering the word Jesus. And he kept offering us life. I don't remember if he preached on this text or not. But I found my heart being drawn to God. I felt as if my life was being pulled magnetically towards something greater than me. All the confusion that I had, the lack of appreciation for the things of the world, sports, fame, money, success, I realized that those things don't provide and fulfill as much as whom I was meeting at that moment. And two years after that sermon, I came to know Christ. I tasted the bread of life. So, Keith asked me, Ronald, preach on why would anyone want to do what we're doing as pastors? Let me testify to the reality of this. Christ is the bread of life. Wherever it is you are in life, Whatever circumstance you're experiencing, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever questions, Jesus can sustain you and give you sustenance like nothing else. He is the bread of life. Keith is going to come up in a little bit. I just want to close by... Asking you to consider what I have said. Asking you to come and taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have any more questions about this, you can come talk to one of the pastors. Come talk to me. But come. Come and see. Come and take of the bread. The promise in Scripture, whoever comes will never hunger anymore. You will never thirst for significance, for value, for purpose in life if you come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. Your word enlivens our souls. Your word gives direction to us. Your word fills us with hope. Your word nourishes. Your word endures. Your word is life. You, the word of God, are life. So Father, I pray that you would draw those who are here near. I did not bring myself to you. I did not save myself. I did not work for the bread of life. You drew me. You gave it to me. And you are faithful 
to sustain me. So Father, I pray that you would do that this morning. Draw those, draw those, Father, who are hungry. Draw those who are thirsty. Draw those, Father, who are beaten by this world and show them that they are made for another world. I pray, Father, these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for what I trust will be the first of many words for us. This is, this is your last one. No. Yeah. You, uh, you came close with that Exodus wisecrack, but yeah, we'll, we'll work you in sometime after Christmas next year. Um, let's see. I know Andrea is here somewhere. At least I hope she is. Yep, she is. She's got to lighten her load there share a baby. I want us to take a moment to pray for them. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, the pulpit's a strange place and caring for God's people from here is, is a strange thing. And you only know that when you, when you do it. And so transitioning, coming into a church and so I, I know there is a eagerness to do what Ronald just did and a terror to do what Ronald just did. And so I know he walked through both of those dimensions in the last few weeks, knowing this day was coming. Um, but bro, that was, that was clear. That was sincere. It revealed God's word and God's ministry to us through you and through your life and through your ability to communicate that. So this was time well spent for all of us. And so grateful for you already in this pulpit. Um, but one of the things that I just want to commend you guys about, because uh, when you go visit other churches, if I go speak to an audience, I don't know anybody in, you don't kind of know how are these people going to be with stuff that I say. And so he's got to sit and figure, how are these people going to be with the stuff that I say? And what is so exciting, I'm excited for anybody to come sit here and speak to you guys. Because you guys are an attractive bunch of people. You love God's word and you pull the word of God out of the people who stand in this pulpit. And so I'm grateful that you have the privilege of preaching to these guys rather than some other places. (laughs) This is a welcoming bunch. But what I'd like for us to do is to pray for Ronald and Andrea. um, That God will just continue to graft them into our lives. And so many of you have done such a wonderful job of opening your lives up and making room for them and interacting and sharing, coming from meetings, etc. And we just want to do that all the more. And so today, I just, I just want to pray for us in this local setting for God to lead this couple into our lives and to lead us into their lives in the days ahead. So can we do that? Let's stand up together and pray for them. Lord, what we heard about our hearts, Lord, so helpful and 
Lord, we don't want to overlook, God. We don't want to be an ungrateful gathering here this morning. God, your grace to us has been amazing. So, Lord, yeah, we're, we're here as a church listening to preaching. And now we're going to pray about being a church together with Ronald and Andrea and their family. But, Lord, the larger looming question is, what are we even doing here? God, why is it that these things get an amen from our hearts, Lord? Why do we hear news about the bread of life and say, yes, man, that's so true, Ronald. Except that you have fed us this bread in your kindness and you have pursued us in your grace. So, Lord, we are here as a church listening to your word because you are gracious and kind and saving and working and transforming us. And, Lord, that happens through means. Lord, you put people in our lives and you stir faith into our hearts and we encourage one another. And, God, you lift our gaze from the temporariness of bread to the glory of the one who miraculously provides. And Lord, you've done that again today for us. God, you have lifted our gaze to give us a heart that says yes to that God. Wow, to who he is. And Father, we want that more and more and more. So Father, that's what we're praying for, for this man and his wife and his family to be in our midst, Lord, empowered by your spirit, used by you. God, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts to them, to the ministry that you have for us through him and through his family. God, you would pour into us things that you uniquely intend to use his life to accomplish in our lives. And so, Father, we make room. Scripture says that, make room in your hearts for us. Lord, today we make room in our hearts for Ronald and Andrea, their children, what you have for them in the future. And God, we pray that we will pour into their lives. Lord, we will be a place of care. Lord, we will be a place of nurturing. Lord, we will be a place that feels safe in this darkened world. God, we will be a place where transformation is possible for them and growth is possible for them. God, they would know something of what it means to love one another even as I have loved you. Lord, may it be that in the months and years to come, Lord, they would be able to say, we tasted of the Father's love through the people that God put in our lives here. So God, this morning our prayer is that you would pour your life through us to one another. From this church into this family. And from this man's ministry and his family into ours, Lord, we thank you for that and we welcome that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.